When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. I'm Taylor. And Taylor, we're going to start off with a little bit of Sabres news before we get into one of our variety segments that we had teased earlier in the summer. But for that little bit of Sabres news, the Sabres announced today that they have loaned 2022 first round pick Noah Oslin to Vaxjo of the SHL. Oslin, in a move that really does not come as a surprise to anybody, is going back to Sweden for seemingly another year. Hopefully this time around he's going to be able to get some big minutes in the SHL and continue to round out his game a bit. This also means that we won't be seeing him at prospect camp, as is the case for the other European prospects, as well as for some of those NCAA players who are among the Sabres prospect group. But Taylor, not much of a surprise here as far as Oslin goes. Really, the the majority of the conversations, at least that you and I have been having around him, have been the idea of using him as a trade chip, of course, with him being a, a top 20 first round pick, uh, being taken with that Vegas pick. So just your thoughts on the move of Oslin going back to the SHL for a year and what it means for his overall development. Well, yeah, like you said, it's no big surprise because he kind of said this was going to happen during development camp. Uh, so he's going to the team that is the reigning champion in the SHL, which that will give him real playing time against real professional hockey players. So that should be good for him. I don't know exactly how the SHL compares to the AHL. Uh, maybe it's not that different, but this would be, this will be a great experience for him. Uh, it's, it's real like Swedish hockey. Like he wasn't like last year, he was at a second tier team and it's, it's always a little bit worrisome when you have a guy playing in like the second tier, like this was a, a kind of a Rasmus Asplund thing for us before we realized he wasn't going to be a guy that scored ever. It's like, mm-hmm. why aren't you scoring more at these other levels? So Oslin's going to have a chance to, at age 19, his 19-20 season, to really play against professional hockey players in Sweden. So what you want to see is him to be like, bless you, really productive. Because if you are a, let's say, half a point a game player in the SHL, you're going to be significantly less than that in the NHL. So I think you want to see him, and especially because this is the the reigning champion. This is a really good team he's playing on. That means he'll have talented teammates. So it'll be exciting to see how he acclimates himself to this 
Definitely. Yeah, I think insulating him with a strong supporting cast is really huge and it's going to be big for his development. I mean, you know, there's a lot to like about Austin's game and how it can eventually translate to the NHL. And I think that he gives the Sabres both their obviously prospect group right now, but in the long term sense, you know, the roster and the franchise as a whole, uh, some additional cushion at the center position. I mean, the, the Sabres and their centers in general, but their center prospects are so deep right now. And so it's really exciting to have a guy like that in the mix that kind of profiles as a strong two-way player with some good playmaking ability. So I, I think what I'm really looking forward to is, as you had mentioned, of course, how he's going to be able to compete when it comes to playing what will hopefully be everyday minutes in the SHL for a, a high-powered team and how his defensive game is going to round itself out. But I think more than that too, just to start to see some of that production a little bit there. I think that this is going to be, again, having that kind of a supporting cast and hopefully having strong line mates will enable him to really round out more of his offensive creativity, get his skating up, up a little bit better so that it could be a little bit, you know, inching closer and closer towards being at NHL level. And ultimately, yeah, just kind of fine tuning some of those special points in his game. You know, we don't need Oslin to be this kind of, everything all around player. I think that the Sabres having the depth that they do right now at forward, it serves to benefit him and his overall development and what he could end up meaning to the team. But we know what his skill sets are. We know what his strengths are. And so as, lo as long as he's able to really hone those and, and round those out a bit more, it's going to be really exciting when he comes uh, across the pond uh, to North America next year. And we'll be getting some good minutes in Rochester in the 24, 25 season as well. For sure, yeah, that's that's really want to see, and I think this is a good experience for him to be like one of the guys on a really good team. So, hopefully, we see more from uh, Noah this year. Yes, fingers crossed. All right. Well, any other thoughts on the Sabers or on Noah Oslin before we get into some non-sports stuff? Uh, I did want to say that the Athletic did their survey of the confidence in different front offices. Why oh, did you delete that? How do we do? Uh, I don't remember what placement the Sabres were exactly. Decently high, better than they've been in the past. But the thing that struck me about it is that the public is more confident in the front office than Sabres fans are. So for those who never have done this survey, you take the survey and then you see what team you're a fan of. And then you rank your confidence in every front office. And that's how the survey is done. So that's interesting, isn't it? Hmm. Like, it is interesting. I mean, it's yeah, a good thing that it, it it's nice have it because I feel like it's usually the other way around, especially in a hundred percent mid-sized market like Buffalo. Yeah, I think people here are still a little scarred, but I think the difference is the rest of the NHL. You know, fans out there were looking at us last year, like, "Wow, look at how fun the Sabers are! Look at how Tages, all this stuff." And people in Buffalo really enjoyed that. It was a great year, but I think a lot of us, especially during the off season, are like, "Who is going to play goalie?" <laughs> Who's yeah. going to make a save? Because that's, I think we're more hyper fixated on that. And maybe that's why things are a little lower. Or maybe people are just uh, beaten down after the last 12 years, which is understandable. I think all of the above could be very fair assessments of the situation. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, Taylor, without further ado, do we want to get into one of our segments here? Yeah, we, we teased this back in June. We did, yeah. So do you want to kind of describe the, the premise here of the conversation? Yeah, so it's basically an exchange. So people that listen to the podcast know that Brandon is a big movie guy. Or Jesus, the other way around. Yep. Brandon's a big music guy, and I'm a big movie guy. Uh, and 
we often when we do recommendations at the end of the episode that's how they fall into it's usually me recommending movie brendan recommending music with some other changes people might also notice that it is august 30th and it has been so long since there's been a hockey game and it's still pretty long until there's another one so wow we got to talk about something in this twice weekly podcast and folks we're doing this exchange brendan gave me an album to listen to and i gave him a movie to watch and i think we both aim well in my case i aim for something i thought brendan would like in Brandon's case, he gave me an album of a band that we're seeing this weekend in Toronto. So, Brandon, should you go first or should I go first? My thought was that the person would talk about their experience listening to this or watching this new thing, and then the other person would come in with more of their expertise. So, what should we do first? I can go first if you want. If you're cool yeah, okay. Yeah. So, Taylor's movie that he gave me was Burn After Reading. I had not seen it before. And it kind can of. Can I ask before we get into it? Um, yeah. Have you seen any Coen Brothers movies? Do you have any familiarity yeah, yeah, with Coen yeah, Brothers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's what was funny about it is that, like, I've seen, like, No Country for Old Men. And so going into this, <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And I think the other thing that's funny is I was doing a little bit of research after the fact on the movie and just reading up on it. And this was the next movie that they put out after No Country for Old Men. So that I thought was just kind of hilarious because this is more of a, a dark comedy. And, and I, what I was going to say is I, I was really surprised that I hadn't watched it before. Like I knew the movie existed. I, I didn't really know what it was about, but I've heard the name. I, there's obviously a bunch of like the famous gifts, like the one of like Brad Pitt dancing. And it's a really great cast though. Like that's why I was so surprised. Like I'm a big George Clooney guy. I, I really, really like George Clooney. I really like Brad Pitt. Uh, I mean, obviously Francis McDormand is amazing. John Malkovich, Tilda Swinson, you got JK Simmons, Richard, Richard Jenkins was incredible. Carl from Succession. I mean, yeah. that, that was a really fun surprise. Um, and then even, you know, down the cast a little bit, like there was some some surprising names in there. Um, as for the movie itself, I feel like I had to like sit with it a little bit because it just feels like you're watching this ridiculous premise of a dark comedy. And then all of a sudden Brad Pitt gets shot in the head by George Clooney. And I was like, <laughs> it's like a dream that's happening right now. Like it just, it, it completely changed the direction and the dynamic of the movie. And, and the reason why I also had to sit with it too, is because I, I just felt like afterwards I had to kind of try to make sense of it a little bit because it's such a ridiculous premise. And a lot of times as the movie's going along, you're wondering like, where the hell is this going? Like, what is what is the point of this movie? Like, what are the Coen brothers trying to say? What, what What's the point? And, and for a little bit, I was like, I really I don't really know. Like, I enjoyed watching it, but I, I just was trying to make sense of that. And then as I thought about it a little bit further, I think that, and I'm curious for your thoughts on that, because I think the the thing that, is cool about us doing these segments moving forward is not only do we know our shit for myself when it comes to music and, and you when it comes for movies, but I think within that is the fact that we both kind of can see through the like, I, I guess what you get on the surface of something or what you get at face value. Like I think both of us, like I know at least for me, like when I'm listening to an album or a song or something like that, you know, I, I can kind of, dig into a little bit of the intricacies and like the emotions that are within it and whatnot and what like the lyrics mean and everything like that. And I think that there's a lot of that, obviously, that can be said for movies as well on, on a variety of levels, whether it's the cinematography, whether it's the dialogue, what have you. Um, so I, I'm, I'm excited to hear your 
take on the movie, but I felt like some of the things I gathered where they were trying to make points about, for one, the general incompetency of the American public. Two, I think the complete lack of care or taking serious the the U.S. government has. I think also the whole storyline of like Frances McDermott's character getting into this whole mess because of the fact that she was trying to get her like plastic surgery and like lipos and all these operations done is kind of talking about the obsession when it comes to image and and body presentation and things like that and how toxic that is. So I, I, I do think that there were these uh, underlying themes throughout it, but there's just, it's just such a fucking ridiculous movie. It is, it is preposterous. And some of the plot turns like them going to like the Russian embassy, for example, that, you know, uh, Brad Pitt and Francis McDermott think they stumble upon like these like secrets of the U S government. But in reality, it's just John Malkovich's like memoir that he's trying to write. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was it was a good movie. There was a lot of lines that were like really funny in there. Like the the dialogue for a lot of it was really good. But I liked it a lot. It was cool. I think it's I think that's what I want to do with this is I want to kind of pose these conversations moving forward with movies that I know that I should see that I have not seen yet that you would be like, oh, my God, Jesus Christ. And I feel like this probably kind of fits into that mold a bit. So yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was good. I mean, it wasn't like the best movie I've ever seen, but I I liked it and I really didn't have anything that made me walk away from it being like I I I wish I wouldn't have seen that or I I think this or that could have been like substantially better because I I liked it for what it was and I liked like I said, I thought the cast was really great. It was just like cuz we've talked about this before too. And I know I'm rambling about this a little bit, but I'm the kind of person that even if there's things that are maybe lacking on like the plot side of things, or if there's like plot holes, or if there's stuff with like dialogue that's a little eh, or whatever. If I'm watching something though that has an actor, actress, whoever that I like, or multiple ones that I like, and they put a good performance in, I can kind of get over those things. And I didn't really get the sense from this. Like there wasn't really anything that I was like, oh, I wish this or that would have been different. It was just a enjoyable watch of a bunch of actors who are are all really talented and who I historically really enjoy and love all of their movies. Was that, yeah. an, was that an apt uh, description of my experience watching it? Yeah, it seems that way. So I think it's interesting the Coen brothers thing, because I would say burn after reading is them. It, that's their, basically their thesis statement on both movies and humanity, or at least modern humanity. Uh, they, I think they're more burn after reading than no country for old men. Although it is an interesting run. Oh, seven to 2010. They do no country for old men. Oh, and that's their best picture winner in 2010. They do true grit, which didn't win Best Picture, but won. It got nominated for a billion Oscars, including our friend Haley Steinfeld. And in between, they did Burn After Reading and A Serious Man, which I feel like are way more them. Like, A Serious Man even might be what I – like, that That might be the the actual answer for their, their thesis statement on what movies should be. But I feel like those ones are very similar to their actual debut. Uh, their first ever feature was Blood Simple, which they made when they were in their mid to late 20s back in 1984. And that one is fascinating. It's also like this, though. It's just, it's kind of the, it's a dark comedy, very dark in Blood Simple's case, but it's the kind of sitcom-esque misunderstandings that go into these things that 
basically the these conspiracies it's the way we think about things and the way we think about the world in terms of people being in control and 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 understanding what they're doing at all times which is really what happens a lot in movies uh is bullshit and really everything's just pretty stupid so when you think about something it's occam's razor is not just the simplest explanation it's the dumbest one and that's their that's been what they've thought basically i think the entire time they've made movies and that shows through in that fargo kind of in lebowski a little bit and then especially in kind of in a serious man but especially in this even see a little bit of that in Hail Caesar too, where things just feel like, wow, this is really stupid. So I wanted to say with this movie, I thought was really interesting looking into this. I had no idea. It made $60 million at the box office domestically, it made $160 million internationally, which is – so $160 million globally total. That's crazy. I couldn't imagine that now. And just for example, 83 or 60 million would be 83 million in 2023 dollars. And not even considering inflation, it's ahead of movies like, for example, Shazam Fury of the Gods, which is a flop, but still it's a superhero movie. Like it it made 60 million. It made more than that. So man, we used to go to the movies. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Do they are they working on a movie right now? Because I'm seeing they haven't had that one come out in, since 2018. No, so they, they split up kind of. Right. What's that? They do some stuff independent of each other, don't they? That's what they're doing now. Yeah. So they'd only work together for the most part from the 80, from 84 until 2018 when the Bell of the Buster Shrugs came out. But they are doing so. Joel Cohen already did Macbeth like two years ago. And Ethan Cohen, I believe, is making a movie that I don't know what it's called anymore. Drive I probably away. shouldn't. What's that? Drive Away Dolls. Yes. That's what it is. The old name was not Dolls, something else. That you can't really say in a podcast, but so that seems like an interesting one. That's also an interesting thing. Like it's almost like a joke you would make about the Coen brothers splitting up. Like one of them is going to make a Shakespeare adaptation and one of them is going to make, uh, I can't even describe that movie, but it's like insane. Isn't it about like lesbian bank robbers? But anyway, that seems like what it, um, the kind of split they would have, but yeah, like this burn after reading in general, like it's, I think it is the purest of their, like, this is uh, this is how things happen in the world kind of worldview. And I think the fact that they got the CIA involved is interesting because even people who think like, yeah, you become an adult and you realize, oh, my God, this is what adults are. Like, no one knows what they're doing. Everything's a mess. You still think – I think most people still think like, wow, the CIA, they're still on top of shit. They can just make stuff happen. They can make people disappear, all this shit. And then they're just kind of shining light on that being like, no, they're also – they're also susceptible to all this. Uh, but I think it's it's so funny, like, as you mentioned there, like how absurd it is and how stupid most of the things are, but how immediately dark that all gets. Very like, much. Like, it seems kind of fun at first. Like, these guys are so stupid, they think a memoir is government secrets, and they think, oh, we'll just sell that to the Russians, even though that maybe that's something that didn't age well. Because in 2008, you'd have to be very stupid to think Russians were the enemy of America. Uh in 2023, a little bit closer, I guess. Um, but anyway, that was like, one of the things that I saw is that somebody had said in like around like 2016 or 17, I can't remember what it was, but when I was reading up on some of the reviews that it was almost like a precursor to like Trump America. Yeah, I actually have something on that. But so I think additionally, like it's it's crazy to think about how dark the ending is for literally almost every character. We don't really see any for Tilda Swinton's character. But it's like Melkovich's character shot in the head, no brain activity. George Cooney's character fled to Venezuela. Brad Pitt shot in the head, dead. Uh, Ted, uh, who is 
Richard Jenkins character, who may be the saddest character in the Coen Brothers catalog, dead. <laughs> after getting shot in the chest. Yeah, and he only did it because he's so like, like lovesick for this woman who, after he's brutally murdered, and after her other friend is murdered and like has his identity scrubbed and whatever, uh, all she wants to sit on all this information is for them to pay for that plastic surgery still. So she's almost like as like evil and unscrupulous as everyone in this movie. And that's maybe something you don't catch right away because you don't see her say that. You only get that in the wrap-up that's done between – I forgot the actor's name, but Carl from Succession yep. and, and uh, J.K. Simmons's character who's a CIA uh, director in this case. And the ending might be like, – kind of makes the movie because like what did we learn here? And the J.K. Simmons says that. And his underling says, I don't know. He goes, I don't fucking know either. <laughs> and then just closes the folder. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, I guess we learned not to do it again, but I don't really know what we did. So like it just how the, how it ends is so funny and so dumb, but it's so like like I guess dark <laughs> how all, I, all I, the characters' endings are. I think that's one of the things that now that like as I've been thinking about it more, I, I should actually just say to preface that that I think a, a testament of something that is like a good or interesting movie or whatever is how much you're like thinking about it after the fact. And I watched it last night and I've been thinking about it a bunch since. But I think that another thing that's a testament to it being a cool movie is the fact that while, yes, there are these obvious underlying themes here, to another degree, though, too, it's also like that ending kind of perfectly encapsulates it, where it's like there doesn't need to be this like perfectly drawn out, profound resolution or anything like that. Like it just kind of it, it, it is what it is. Like the story is what it is. And it's good enough of a story to stand on its own legs without there being some kind of like either. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, when I say satisfying, I don't mean like a happy ending, but like a, a kind of real resolution to it. Like it's a like you said, it's a pretty dark ending there overall, but they somehow are able to have the culmination of all of these horrible and gruesome events be just jk simmons being like i don't know what the fuck with this what this was all about yeah. <laughs> there's some there's like a beautiful poetry to that yeah it's it's really funny and it's i think there's a line from malkovich who's like stunningly funny in this movie uh the where he basically it's at the it's the point so his wife divorces him and then tries to get all into all his uh financial records and t tries to drain his bank account and he's on his boat that he's living on temporarily and he's trying to call his bank and he doesn't know his account number and he says like no and he's getting increasingly agitated i don't know my account number because believe it or not i don't sit around all day trying to memorize my bank numbers <laughs> and he up and goes <laughs> it's like that power right there i feel like that all the time um but should we like briefly explain what the plot of this movie is to people uh who don't know i mean i'll try to keep it as vague as possible even though we've done Lock. some spoilers um but basically the long and short of it is john melkovich's character is getting demoted at work because of his drinking problem and instead of taking the demotion he quits and decides to write a memoir so his wife told swinton who was having a, a an affair with george clooney george clooney's character i should say uh is just decides to quietly file for a divorce. So now he's that and divorced. And meanwhile, her divorce lawyer tells her to go get a bunch of his records, financial records 
for, I guess, kind of malfeasance, but to, to try to get as much information as possible for the divorce. So she takes them and among them is a, the information for his memoir. And mm. she leaves that at the gym and then the people are at the gym. So that's Francis McDormand's character who really just wants plastic surgery to look different, I guess, to be a different person. Brad's Pitt character who also works there. Brad Pitt's character uh, is hilarious. And it's just an example of how good Brad Pitt is playing a stupid guy. And Richard Jenkins character, who's the gym manager, who's in love with her. Her name is Linda Litsky, Francis McDormand's character, in love with her and kind of in a pathetic way. And she is totally unrequited. So that's mainly the, the important people. And from there, they try to blackmail. George Clooney gets involved. He starts, he's a U.S. Marshal, I should say. He starts to believe he's followed, but he's really being followed by his wife's uh, divorce lawyer because she's also cheating on him. And it's like all of a sudden, like, wow, all these people are just <laughs> totally unscrupulous. And a lot of hilarity ensues from there, including a bunch of things we just spoiled. But one thing I wanted to mention, uh, which is something you hinted at, like a decade after it came out, a guy, a senior editor of the New Republic, Jeet Her, wrote about it, about how prophetic of a film it is, more than anything. And he mentioned some Russiagate stuff, and he says, more than just a satire and espionage, the movie's a scathing critique of modern America as a superficial post-political society where cheating of all sorts comes all too easily. The most disturbing thing about Burn After Reading, though, is how it resembles every day in Trump's Washington where the line between blundering idiocy and malevolent conspiracy is increasingly blurred. I actually think that extends beyond really one political party. It's just kind of Facts. the way things are, but it's it's uh, pretty wild. It definitely is. A couple of my favorite like scenes or dialogue interactions too, just to bring up are the one is when George Clooney is like nervously cutting the carrots up for the salad, and it's like twenty carrots worth of like little pieces cut up until the Swinson's character is like do you think that's enough carrots? And he's like, what? He's like, for the salad. And he's just like, you know, you really are such a negative person. I can't deal with this anymore. And like, it's <laughs> not about it. And she's just like, what are you talking? And then the other one too is when, um, when the, the Carl from Succession goes to J.K. Simmons character, the CIA guy, there's two of them. The one is when he's, when they're talking about the one dead body and, He's like, oh, should we call in the FBI to clean up? He's like, no, not those fucking idiots. We don't need to bring <laughs> making things worse. And then the other thing, too, is when he's talking about uh, John Malkovich, like getting shot in the head. And he's like, is he dead? And then Carl, the dude who plays Carl in succession is just like, uh, no, but they don't think he's going to make it limited brain activity. And his response is just when he says he's not dead, he's just like, oh, what a clusterfuck. This is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> there, there's just so much of the, those just like little things, those little exchanges in the in the movie that were were really good and kind of make you giggle a little bit while all of this like horrible shit's happening yeah yeah absolutely that's really it gets funnier like every time i see it just like an absurdly funny movie pretty yeah, much i want to watch it again I, I i really do so looking forward to to giving another watch but i'm very excited to hear you talk a little bit about music so as taylor had mentioned before uh we are all going up there's a there's a big group of like 10 of us who are going up to toronto we're going to go see arctic monkeys at the budweiser stage on friday also really cool because it's the canadian national exhibition that weekend as well 
So there's a lot of really cool stuff going on, but we are very psyched about this. And as Taylor had mentioned, I'm a big music guy. Arctic Monkeys are in my top five favorite bands ever. And I had Taylor listen to whatever people say I am. That's what I'm not, which is Arctic Monkeys debut album, which is also one of my absolute favorite albums of all time. So Taylor, take it away and tell me what you thought of this album. Well, I liked it. Um, I, I was struck by how, we just don't name albums and songs like this anymore. Oh. <laughs> it's such a an artifact of the aughts. Whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not. Uh, I bet you look good on the dance floor. You probably could. Let me see what this is. Oh, shit. You probably couldn't see. Uh, for, what is that? I probably couldn't see for the light. For the. Uh, yeah. 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 Yes. Uh, red light indicates doors are secured. Perhaps vampires is a bit strong, but like like just just such insanely long song names like Fall Out Boy used to love this too obviously um, but anyway I liked it uh, as an album I'm not great at talking about music in general but there's a few things I liked uh, writing wise I really liked and I forgot what song this is from but the line uh, all the weekend rock stars are in the bathroom practicing their lines Fake Tales of San Francisco yes good uh, double entendre there uh, and in general I like the sound I was doing a little bit of um the the classic meme like guy who's only listening to slow animals like getting some real slow animals vibes from this album <laughs> uh but it was good and like i honestly didn't know much about arctic monkeys in general except from what i've heard from you performing from them so i was really pleasantly surprised uh by their sound and stuff it's just a, kind of a really pleasant listen and i feel like it's the kind of album that the more i listen to it the more i'll get out of it i could not agree more i think that's a really good way of putting it and um, also just to correct you, because I feel like I needed to look it up for myself, but yeah, the, the title of the song is you probably couldn't see for the lights, but you were staring straight at me. <laughs> okay. Ridiculous. Those uh, were the days. So no, that's really cool. I, I, I'm, I'm really glad that you liked it. I think it's funny too, because the amount of times that I've gotten that, whether it's about Arctic monkeys or the strokes of being like, well, I know them from slow animals. And then people like listening to them after the fact and getting like the actual interpretation of, what the music is because you know when we do it we try to keep it like pretty close especially for those two artists like very close to how like the recorded versions are and everything um but yeah so i guess what were your take i know you kind of alluded to it with like the lyrical content but i think for me one of the things about alex turner and i i would love for you to like listen to their next out like the next few albums honestly after that their next album is favorite worst nightmare which is really a continuation of i think this first album or an evolution i should say a little bit and then once they get into their third and fourth albums they kind of get into like, the music gets a little bit like darker i guess you know because there's a lot of that i think with like a lot of the guitar work on on whatever people say i am that while alex turner is so great at writing these really cool vocal melodies or the really cool guitar lines the the guitars itself though in a lot of points like the like melodies that they're playing or the chords that they're playing are are a little bit darker um and that really starts to come into shape in in their third and fourth albums uh humbug and suck it and see and i think that that kind of culminates in am which is the one that everybody knows that has like are you mine and do i want to know and snap out of it and all those kind of songs so it, i think what the cool thing is with them is that they are kind of the perfect embodiment of a band that, and I should say that I'm not a huge fan of their most recent album, but they are able to both, I guess, like maintain a distinct sound while 
evolving as a band like each record of theirs like it's not like it's a carbon copy of the one before it i think that there's certain degrees of evolution from album to album it's just with some of them the jumps are a little bit bigger than others which i think kind of makes it all work and make it cohesive and everything but back to my point though uh, about lyrics I, I guess i'm just kind of curious because i think one of the cool things about the album in general is not only alex turner's lyricism but like his phrasing and how like he it's kind of it's not like rappy but it's just it's very like choppy and quick for a lot of how he goes about it so i'm kind of curious what you thought about both like the lyrical and vocal performance on it british huh i don't think i knew that oh yeah you didn't know they were british yeah i don't think i did but very obvious listening to this that they are yeah i i think it's kind of hard because i i feel like i never listened to an album and then remember like that many specific things about it but yeah i was i was pretty impressed throughout with the the lyrics i think let me me get this song title right i uh let me see what the the name was it was the from the rich to the rebel i really enjoyed that um rules was that your favorite from it probably yeah on the first listen that was my favorite one um so i was impressed by that like I mean, I'm not a great kind of judge vocally, but lyrically, I felt throughout that I I didn't think any of it was like stupid, which is a good sign. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to listen to more because we're leaving in what two days, so I probably should try to uh, get to a cut at least a couple more of these albums, at least some things that they'd be playing when we're there. So yeah, I think you can't go wrong with listening to anything from albums one to five. Um, that and that's really cool to hear. From the Ritz of the Rubble is actually that's one of my favorite songs from this too. My my favorite from the album, I think, is a certain romance, which is the closer on the album. Um, and, and I think what's so cool about Alex Turner, and especially like this album in particular, is that you can really tell, I feel like, even if you haven't been to a place before, so like Arctic Monkeys are from Sheffield in England. And I think what's so cool about this album is that it is like seeing a place that you've never been to before you don't really have any kind of idea of what it's like but through the eyes of somebody who was born and raised there and made by this place and just being able to articulate it in the way that he does because i think you can look at songs like like fake tales from san, of san francisco for example is a song about pretty much like people being like posers in the music industry um you know, like the the line, all the weekend rock stars in the toilets practicing their lines and stuff like that. And then you have a song like When the Sun Goes Down, which is very obviously about a scumbag dude who's the head of a prostitution ring. Yeah. You know, you have Riot Van, which is about somebody that's underage drinking and getting approached by the police after. And I bet you look at on the dance floor, like being in a club, like there's there's just so much that you kind of get to learn about him and learn about this place without ever being there. And I think that this album does like a great job of telling a story within it, like through all the tracks and the song, uh, all the tracks throughout it. Uh, and, and I'm firmly of the belief, I know you haven't listened to them enough to really have this opinion, but I am a firm believer that I think Alex Turner is the best rock lyricist of our generation. So I should probably know this more, but, Besides um, Arctic Monkeys and the Strokes, what do you guys do? Soul Animals. Is there like an? I know there's a bunch of like songs you do. Is there any other bands that are like hugely important? Um, I would say not on the level of the Strokes and Arctic Monkeys. That we just know so many songs by. The, so for background, we started off as strictly a Strokes cover band. Um, 
And it was really great. We did that for maybe like a year to maybe like a year and a half or so. And then we started to expand out and we all really love the Arctic monkeys a lot. And so we were like, Oh, well, this would be great. They kind of pair very well together. We ended up doing last year. We did an album show where we did all of AM Arctic monkeys, fifth album, then all of the strokes room on fire. And so as we were just adding in more songs, we were like, well, let's put an emphasis on this because this kind of corner of alternative rock with like the strokes and Arctic monkeys is broad enough that it appeals to people and they know the bands, but it's niche enough that it's like something that's like, its own thing and kind of different. So in terms of like at large, those are two like clearly, like if you come to one of our shows, I would say 50 to 60% of the set is either Strokes or Arctic Monkeys. And then the other, like we have, I think we do maybe like three or four songs by the Killers. And from there, it's just across the board. We do Catfish and the Bottleman. We do Harry Styles. We have, we do The Sweet Escape by Gwen Stefani. We do David Bowie, The Doors, The Beatles. Uh, we, we try to really have it so that it obviously we are maintaining this, like, like I said, like this niche thing that is different and kind of its own thing while also trying to appeal to wider audiences. Because I think what my favorite part about being in Slow Animals is and how the band has grown and like gained some, like, I mean, obviously relative to just like being in Buffalo, but like some pretty legit popularity is the fact that we've just been able to introduce so many people to music that they didn't know before and artists that they didn't know before and taking it a step further, like for me personally, artists that I love being the one that kind of was like that started the band and kind of got everybody together and, you know, does all of the managing side of it and stuff like that, you know, like this is like my baby. And so it's really cool that I'm, I, I love original music and I love writing music and whatnot, but for this, like, I just, you know, these are bands that I love so much. Like the Strokes and Arctic Monkeys are two of the most, two of the top five favorite bands of mine, two of the most important bands of my life, integral to not only just like my pursuing of music, but honestly, with how important music is to me, to who I am as a person. And so whether it's you or other friends being able to say, hey, you know, like I've seen you guys and it made me sit down and listen to this Strokes album or this Arctic Monkeys album, and I really liked it. And then you know, hearing that more and more from people. And then you talk to people more and it's like their knowledge of the bands really starts to pick up. Like, I think a perfect example of this is with my dad. Like my dad, big Neil Young guy, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Bob Dylan, Zeppelin, like a lot of like classic rock stuff. He likes a lot of like bluesy rock too and everything. But since we've done Slow Animals, like he's, you know, there's times now that I'll show up to the house and he's listening to Arctic Monkeys or we'll be in the car and, uh, you know, like Cage the Elephant or the Killers will come on the radio and he'll be like, oh, it's in like know the song by name. And so it, it's it's just extremely rewarding, you know, like having something that means so much to you to then be able to like share that with other people and in turn kind of on a obviously very small scale, but like a personal scale, be able to kind of like increase their popularity locally and like the awareness of these bands locally it's a it's a really cool feeling so I know that was a really long way of answering the question but it's kind of a fun thing being able to introduce people to music that they otherwise didn't know because I believe so strongly in it that I'm like if you listen to this I know you're gonna like it for sure I uh but before we do anything else we should probably hear from our sponsors probably should uh, 
So the show is brought to you by DraftKings. College football fans, are you ready for week one? DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking you up with a can't-miss offer to start the season strong. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Anything can happen in college football. Anything except Tennessee losing to Virginia this week. Cannot happen. Your team could go from unranked to dynasty mode in just a couple of years. Change comes fast. The only thing that's a lock is great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. Life's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on college football. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit www.1800gambler.net and your call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text OPEN-Y-467-369 in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ohio, see dkng.co slash football for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. This podcast is also brought to you by Raycon Wireless Earbuds. So... Even if you're not going on vacation, your summer's all about the vacation state of mind. Whether I want to listen to Arctic Monkeys on repeat or just need to retreat inside my own head for a bit, I love creating my own summer soundtrack by popping in my Raycon wireless earbuds. There's so much going on all summer. Sometimes you need some upbeat music to pump you up before you see people or to stay calm with some guided meditation. Personally, I use my Raycons uh, when I'm going to the gym, doing dishes, doing laundry, all kinds of important stuff like that. But let me tell you right now, no matter what you're doing, Raycons are the best way to listen. Use earbud tap functions to toggle between three customizable sound profiles, noise isolation, and awareness mode. Raycons have a 32-hour battery life, including eight hours of playtime, so you can listen to what you want, when you want, for a really long time. They come with custom gel tips for the most comfortable in-ear fit. They start at half the price of other premium audio brands, and they sound just as good. Raycons come with a 30-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. So create your own soundtrack with Raycon. Right now, Straight Up Savers listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash THPN. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to save 15% off on Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. And of course, as we always mention, we're sponsored by Thin Man Brewery. And wow, we've mentioned so much, especially on this past Tuesday episode, about what's going on at Thin Man. So much is going on. Shirts are available. The Welcome to Hell Pills Mafia shirts look really cool. They're available now, so check it out. Perfect to wear to a tailgate this year. Uh, also, the new a couple of new beers are available. Oktoberfest, 6.3% Mars and Lager, available at retailers now or you know, local bars might have it on tap. Another one, Boxcar Waiting. Pacific Sunrise, or sorry, a West Coast IPA hopped with Pacific Sunrise and Centennial. 7%. Those are a limited edition. Brewed and bottled. So check those out. And then Freeze Cup Shandy. That's their debut with Lemon and Lime Shandy. It's a great summer beer. So then man says to slow down and freeze up. And of course, there's also the double IPA, the fantastic state of chaos, all those available. So that seems like four or five great reasons to check out Thin Man Chandler soon. Or, you know, your local retailer should have Thin Man beers available. It's like those I just mentioned or classics like Pills Mafia, Mickey Boodle or any of its variants. 
Trial by Wombat, great stuff at Thin Man Brewery. Oh, of course, Super Freak. How could I forget Super Freak? So Thin Man Brewery, Brandon, anything to add? We love Thin Man. All the usual, folks. Check them out on social media. Check them out on their website. And make sure you're stopping by Chandler Street to enjoy any of the delicious food or drinks that are offered there. All right. So... Yeah, I was just going to add one last thing too for because I think you went into some of the the background of the uh the movie, well like the accolades and whatnot, but I was just I went and looked it up really quick. So some of the accolades that whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not. Time magazine in 2006 um named it the best album of the year. It won the Brit Award for best British album. It won the 2007 Mercury Prize. It was a there was a Grammy nomination for best alternative music album. I want to know what won that year because I really don't know what could be better than that. But uh, it was NME ranked it, I believe, 19th in their 500 greatest albums of all time list. Rolling Stone had it ranked 97 in the 100 best debut albums of all time. I mean, it across the board got four or five star reviews. And yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. Yeah. USA Today labeled it or said that you probably won't hear a better album all year long and called it utterly infectious. If you haven't listened to it, I, I highly, highly recommend giving it a listen it's just it's a lot of fun and it gives a like i said it's very vivid in its description of like youth british culture all right well any last thoughts taylor before we sign off uh go vals brandon and i of course will be watching both the tennessee and Notre game games uh this saturday in toronto it's why we're going up there it's gonna be a great time you would be so surprised to know that there is a huge assortment of Tennessee and Notre Dame fans up in Toronto. It's just crazy. There probably are some Notre Dame fans. I would think, yeah, most likely. Either way, will be a fun time for sure. Very much looking forward to it. And hey, we can talk more on Monday about your experience getting to see Arctic Monkeys live and what you liked and what you didn't. And my first time going to Canada in four years. <laughs> it's amazing. Wow. All yeah. right. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both presenters of this podcast on their respective websites. Whatever streaming platform you're listening to this episode on, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows across both networks. Make sure you're following the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can also find us, Straight Up Sabres. And before you close out of whatever app you're using right now to listen to this episode, make sure you are subscribed and or following to us, and you leave us a nice little rating or review as we'd very much appreciate it. Last but not least, folks, we got three sponsors. We got DraftKings Sportsbook. Use the promo code THPN to take advantage of great deals. Raycon, raycon.com slash THPN. Same way, take advantage of those great deals. And Thin Man Brewery, head over to Chandler Street or wherever you like to buy your booze and pick up some great Thin Man beers. And you can find details about all three of our sponsors in the show notes. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Safe. in my mind, can